Sure. A lot of really terrifying things are happening in our culture right now. We hear a lot about cultural meltdown. We hear a lot about disintegration. But is laughter always inappropriate? Is it okay sometimes to sit back and giggle and just say, this is sad, but this is also really silly? If that sounds interesting to you, we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to bring in some fairly extreme examples to illustrate the point. But we hope this will be helpful to you, and we hope it'll be a holistic exploration of a Christian attitude about what's going on. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And today we are going to talk about the Sisters of the Perpetual Indulgence, which is not a Catholic group, and they're not nuns, but they appear to be such and pose as such. And you may have seen this headline. This is a group of, um, well, let me get the let me get the right description here. These uh, sisters are self-described as the leading edge order of queer and trans nuns. They have no connection to any real Christian denomination. They are, for the most part, Shocker. male drag performers specializing in what Rolling Stone magazine calls, quote, camping nun cosplay. So that's from the Wall Street Journal. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it, yeah. Anyway, we're going to, so, well, Cameron's laugh is going to be the, mm-hmm. what this podcast is about. Yeah. But before we get there, a little bit of context. So you have this group of queer and trans, not nuns that dress as nuns, um, who, did not get invited to the Dodgers baseball pride night thing in June. June's going to be pride month. Mm. Um, you will know about it soon. And um, they got disinvited. And then there was a thing about race erasing trans identities. And then they got invited back. And so then that's been the whole story of this uh, group getting invited to go run around the bases and do whatever they do during the pride night in Dodger stadium. So um, what you do with that and you can at your own discretion go look at images of this group and what they're about. Um, or you sh- maybe w- don't want to dignify it with your attention. I mean, they have like a Foxy Mary contest on Easter and a hunky Jesus, like a twerking Jesus guy. And like, it's just, what do you do with it? You, you either laugh mm-hmm. or cry. So where we want to go with this is like, I know lots of people are terrified about this and lots of people think it's hilarious. And I was reading one of the comments, I forget which news organization had one of these articles that let you look at the comments. And somebody said, I have a friend who's an actual nun. And when I told her about this, she burst out laughing, couldn't catch her breath, stopped and asked the Lord to forgive her for laughing, but then couldn't help it and kept on laughing. (laughs) Uh, So there there you have one actual nun's response. And the archdiocese um, has come out in that area, encouraging people to support their local actual nun's um, in solidarity and gifts to the poor and to religious organizations and stuff. So, I mean, the Catholic church is, is well aware of it. And so you have this kind of like quasi hybrid thing of co-opting of religion in order for a whole host of different ideologies lumped together, uh, openly being mocked at a professional baseball game. So it's the perfect storm of all kinds of jumping off points, but let's talk about when, laughter is okay in some of these contexts. Go for it, Cameron. I mean, I do think sometimes laughter is the best medicine. And I'm very well aware that this runs the risk of trivializing something that may seem to be a very serious moral threat. So I want to state from the onset that we do, we want to take seriously the unique challenges of our moment. But 
everything about this, Nathan, is just so incredibly silly. I mean, is it is it technically very offensive and sacrilegious? Yes, but only in the most adolescent and juvenile sense. I mean, there's no... So it's hard for me to feel any real gravity about this. This is just a point... We've reached a point, and here's a here's a sad note here in the midst of the laughter. I mean, we've reached a point, I think, as a culture of such boredom and such perversion that we really don't know how to do anything other than than take something beautiful and deface it and mm. vandalize mm-hmm. it. And we act like this is something really profound and edgy. There's nothing edgy about this at all. This is about as edgy as a teenager spray painting cuss words on a beautiful statue or something like that. That's what this reminds me of. It's just like an act of public vandalism. So, yeah, I I do I I see a whole lot of silliness in this. I also see us having, I mean, we've been building up to this point for quite some time. I mean, we've been moving in say, this direction say a little bit more for about these that. Yeah, I mean, we've moved moving in in a direction that's allowed for these kind of antics for a long time. So this is why I want to, I want to give a, a note of caution, or I don't know, maybe I think we have reason to be a little bit circumspect sometimes when we condemn this stuff. Just I think we I think it should be condemned. I think it's silly. I think it's ridiculous. And is it is it of course offensive? Yes, of course it is. But. We've also, most people in the United States and in the West in general have been singing the hymns of radical individualism for a long time. Many of us didn't think it would turn out like this. I I always point out that one Emerson quote that talks about history as an injury and an impertinence if it gets, if it in any way inhibits you and gets in the way of your own Mm -hmm. development and your own, you know, ambition to become whatever you want to become. And then we have a whole slew of, of course, movies that have basically all converged on the theme of follow your heart or follow your dreams. And we've told our children for many years, you can be whatever you want to be. Now, of course, we, I think in general, people in the past just meant, well, you can, you know, you can pursue any career that you want to pursue, but if you work hard enough and, you know, apply yourself, but don't, but here's where I think we, we need to search ourselves a little bit. Because in the United States, most of us are still pretty, we don't like people telling us what to do. We are generally conditioned to, 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 to not like tradition and to push against it, even though we're surrounded by all sorts of newer traditions, which is kind of the irony. But we don't, we don't like traditional ways of thinking. We want to throw off the shackles of old prejudices and old lines of thinking. So and is there... It's is, a, yeah. Is there also like a pioneer motif here of like breaking boundaries and going where nobody's gone before? Is there a yeah, absolutely a manifest yeah. destiny almost aspect to some of these cultural movements? Well, this is the new world, right? To to latch onto some of the the language of of the frontier movement. Yeah. So this is the place where you pursue the dream that you want on your own terms. Now, of course, we, on a side here. That came at that has come at absolutely massive cost to the natives of America in the first place, and also to the the landscape 
and the ecology of North America as well. I mean, our way of life has come with a massive, massive price tag. But well, so that's, there's an, yes, that's I think a, that's there's an interesting parallel there because do you remember, this was years ago, I think I was in England, this was under the Obama administration, and they weren't going to, the U.S. wasn't going to give relief money to Uganda unless Uganda changed some of their laws around homosexuality. You, I don't know. It's it's been a little yes. while. And, it's been a bit. But I had, yeah, I, remember I had some friends from Uganda, and they're like, "Oh, we're used to colonialism. We know all about what it means for a bigger power to come in and throw their weight around and try to change our culture." And it was a bit of a shocking thing because nobody mm-hmm. thinks of moral colonialism as colonialism. Um, except for the people who actually experienced an actual form of it, saw it as exactly the same thing. So there is a little bit in which some of these ideological boundary crossings are forms of colonialism, if you want to not mm-hmm. not to denigrate actual colonialism, but there's some pretty striking parallels there where you come blasting into another culture and tell them that they're wrong and change their definitions of everything, and then, you know, monkey with the the dynamics there, so... Anyway, I, I guess what I want to ask about, though, is, you know, both of us have children. You talked about this being ridiculous, about it being a mockery, uh, several other words there. I think what most people are wondering about is, is it dangerous? So danger and, and fear get to be the, the main operating mm-hmm. uh, or the main responses to things like this. And I think we're going to go in a different direction would be my guess here. But the the before we just sweep that under the rug and and go in the laughing route, um, let's talk about some of the differences there. So, yeah, I mean, how many of us have spent time running around in a banana costume or dressed up like a clown or some other kind of goofy thing? And we see people doing this. Um, I don't think it's cosplay in this sense to use the Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. thing, because in cosplay, you don't usually see yourself as the actual identity of the thing that you're, I don't know. I've never done this. I'm just assuming for the most part is that you don't take that on as a permanent identity. So this isn't, you know, on one hand, it'd be easy to say, oh, look, it's a guy running around the bases dressed up as a nun. Mm-hmm. Well, it's different if that person th- thinks that they really are that. And and I don't know any of these individuals or the background here, so it could all just be totally for the mockery of it. But I think that's why some of the, the trans stuff is different is because the person who's clearly doing something else actually identifies themselves as the thing that they're dressed to be. So that's one one difference there. The second one is is that people would say, okay, well, it's one thing for somebody to have this ideology, but you also have a phenomenal amount of political power and influence when you can get yourself through, I mean, in, into, a ba- into a major league baseball game event doing this. So mm-hmm. that is where I think some of the, the the fear does not come from the individuals and what they're doing. The fear comes from saying we now have a new untouchable form of non-critiquable action and behavior that mm-hmm. has massive political influence and massive political power. That, I think, maybe is where the fear part comes in for most people, sure. not on what are individuals doing, but the seeming political and cultural weight that a group like this now has. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about, so let's get really practical here for a little bit. We have, both you and I have younger children. And I want to speak from that, the standpoint of a dad of, in my case, two young children, in your case, four younger children. So one of the principles that I try to apply in my household is that if you're going to 
understand disease, you have to understand health first. Now, I'm using disease in a descriptive sense. This runs the risk of sounding insulting. But I think, you know, I mean, from a Christian standpoint, I'm going to be very honest and candid here, that the behavior that you've, we've, we were talking about when we talk about a movement like the Sisters of the Perpetual Indulgence, that is, from my standpoint, that is profoundly abnormal and diseased behavior. It's a complete and profound departure from the purpose of human beings made in the image of God. So that's what I mean when I say that. So with my, my children, I want them, to the best of my abilities, I want my wife and I to be faithful witnesses of Christ, his church, and his way. And I want them to see that in our little, quote, village, so to speak. So that would be our church and in our household so that they have, first and foremost, a positive vision of what true human life looks like, life life in abundance, abundant life, we might say. Because I, I'm stressing that because a lot of people will, will say, are you talking to your children about this yet? Because it's, gonna, it's coming and, all, and I, I, I completely understand that. And I think that makes sense. But the answer is, I'm going to be, I'm working to be ready to have these conversations about these kinds of issues with them when they come up with them. I don't want to, I don't want to place any weight on their shoulders prematurely. Partly because I think one of the big, I mean, one of the big problems I think in our cultural moment is that we don't give children the space to be kids. And I want my kids to, first of all, just enjoy the world, explore it. I want them to see that this is God's good world. I want them to run around the yard. I want them to look up at the big sky. I want them to, I mean, I, and I want them to, to daydream. I want them to, I mean, yeah, I want them to do some fun things like sports and all of that as well. But I want them to have some free time to move around and rove and explore. And I want to explore with them too. And I want them just to be able to be children for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, these things will come up. And then I want to be able to discuss them in the safe environment of, of the home. But I want to begin with a positive vision before I start talking about some of what's, what's gone wrong in our cultural moment and some of the unique challenges. And real quickly, and then I want to kick it over to you, Nathan, is this stuff dangerous? Well, yes, of course it is. When you have something like this that gains a lot of cultural traction and influence, that can be dangerous too. But may I suggest to you that at the root of what's going on here is the notion that you can be whatever you want to be. And that sounds a whole lot more innocuous and palatable than the sisters of the perpetual indulgence. This is a notably extreme example. And often when we look at these kinds of issues, we are given extreme examples, which are real, by the way. So we can't you know, drag queen story hour, all of that. So I don't want to downplay the severity of that. These are real examples. They are extreme examples. And they may be, they may be kind of indicative of what's coming down. They, they may get more normal as we move forward, you know. But I also want to say that, that just if we back up, I think that the notion that freedom is purely negative and that you're, pro, that you're primarily an autonomous being to you, you can be whatever you want to be, that's a message that kids are often given. And I think that is an incredibly dangerous message 
I think the real mm-hmm. danger here is the notion that you are your own, that your identity is clay in your hands, and that you are free to become whatever you want. I think that is a recipe for absolute disaster. And we have that's a message that plenty of well-meaning, I think even Christians have imbibed on a certain level. They may, they may think of it in a little bit more of a, well, I was just thinking about career. I was just thinking about your development as an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Apply yourself and discipline. Yeah. Those are all good, good principles, but we have to really stress a person is a child of God and you belong to God. You were made by God. If, that, if we don't stress that, or I don't know, stress that, if we don't work to kind of build the credibility of that vision of human life, then we could encounter some serious complications because that is a vision of life that is profoundly at odds with our cultural moment. And these extreme examples are outworkings of the notion that you are your own. That's what I would say. So, okay. I have maybe, uh, let me hit it this way. So, because I have talked to my kids about some of this, even though it hasn't come up to them. My kids go to public school, so my experience has been somewhere around Mm -hmm. age eight they lose their childhood innocence on certain conversations. So and my son's six, little, by the way. So we're right. Not, yeah. I'm so not my kids are a little yet. older. So that's, that makes a difference. Yeah. My, my daughter's 10 and we've talked about this. Um, when you, one of the, one of the great lines from Leslie Newbegin and is this idea that, that doubt doesn't happen in a vacuum. Doubt happens when you believe something else to be true. So if, yeah. if, if you say to me, the moon is made of blue cheese and I say, I doubt it. The doubt doesn't stand on its own. It's because I believe something else to be true. So the the tactic that you're taking with your children is you're teaching them the other thing to believe to be true. A, as far as like how sexuality and gender Mm -hmm. work and also B, um, yeah, just the freedom to be be a child and see what's good and and healthy. So there's, there's the teaching of the, of the real thing in order that when some of these other things pop up, they say, nah, I doubt that because I believe something else is true. So there's that. The flip side of it is, is that particularly for kids, um, and so like mine don't have access to a whole lot of screens and stuff, so they're not seeing about this in like or through a digital format. Uh, maybe looking over my shoulder when I'm reading the headlines or something. But most of the place where children are educated on this stuff is by other children, who are right. kind of enjoying playing with the boundaries of what they know that other kids don't know. So there's a lot of work, and thus far. I found it to be helpful to have those conversations first so I can be the one who's controlling that conversation and say, you know what, your classmates are going to start talking about this. Let's talk about that and what it really means. And actually, they don't know what this really means. Um, you know, so I, I often say to my daughter, you know how your little brother always talks about driving a truck? Well, clearly he can't <laughs> drive a truck. He never has driven a truck, doesn't even own a truck, but he loves to talk and tell stories about driving a truck. He's three years old. Um, he doesn't have a clue what that means. And in the same way, you're going to have classmates who are talking about stuff that they don't have a clue what it means. They're 11 years old. They don't actually know. Um, and so there have been some things that I've done, conversations that we've had preemptively to open up the category, not as an awkward one that it's weird for me to talk to my children about, or they would think, oh, I shouldn't ask dad about this because it's a little off topic. So I think as your children get older, there is some room there for some preemptive conversation to destigmatize the conversation uh, around some tricky issues that they're absolutely, even if you're homeschooled or private school or whatever, um, it's coming. It's coming. If you're close to a screen at all, uh, you will you will see this. So anyway, so I so we got off topic there a little bit on. Well, no, we didn't because we're saying basically, is this something we should fear? Um, 
I teach my children to distinguish between what kinds of snakes to be afraid of and what kinds of snakes not to worry about. So there's this whole discern, you know, phase of what do you do when you get a tick on you? What do you do when this is chasing you? You know, these kinds of things are part of growing up and learning to navigate the world around you. And this is new territory for many people. But just as we've taught children and we were instructed to navigate things, I'm sure Cameron as children, um, that were for the first time issues in our generation as well. How do you use technology responsibly? What are safety protocols on the internet? Um, mm -hmm. Think about the stuff that we had to learn that our parents never really went through as children. So on that hand, I think there's room for real wisdom there, but that fear isn't necessarily the best motivating factor for thoughtful engagement. Now, I'm going to say fear isn't, but I'm also going to say that mockery is not the best response either. And so when you see somebody mocking something sacred, the response is not to be mocking then of that thing. Even though some of these really line themselves up, it sort of seems <laughs> like they're putting the ball on the tee there to be mocked. Um, can we distinguish between mocking and laughter yeah. um, as, a, as a healthy response to silliness I and i use silliness I, in the best yeah. sense of the term yep yeah uh mockery i think broadly speaking is motivated by you know usually it's mean-spirited it's it's cruel the it's it's the object of the game is is ridicule so it's a form mockery you might say is a form of attempted domination hmm. you mock somebody you belittle them you triple trivialize them so yeah, that's 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 a kind of it's a kind of assault. But laughter, though, laughter in the best sense, if you if you're if you're laughing at yourself as well and the foibles of humanity, the mistakes that we make, that has room in it for humility. Because well, let's face it. Yeah. No, no, go ahead and finish that thought. I have more to say on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, please do. Yeah. I want you to to expand on that or, or or interact with that. But if if we're laughing at the foibles of humanity instead of mocking our opponents, then in that is the assumption that these these people, in this case, you know, members of this particular group participating in nun cosplay or you know all the antics that they've described, many of which are are sacrilegious and deeply offensive. We don't need a sexualized Jesus. Thank you very much. Right. But if we're if we're laughing at the foibles of humanity, then we are recognizing that they are fellow human beings made in the image of God. And we can see a tr we can see tragedy in their behavior, but we can laugh at it also because we could just laugh at the sheer cussedness of the human condition. And remember, we've talked about this before on the podcast in laughter there is a note of transcendence. Peter Berger mm -hmm. calls humor a signal of transcendence because you are able to look at the ability to laugh at the human condition, even in the face of deep perversion, even in the face of calamity and tragedy, is a remarkable feature of human life. It's a sign of true nobility. It reminds me of Pascal saying, we're human beings are the weakest creatures on the planet in many ways. We're just, you know, it takes almost nothing at all to snuff out human life. And yet we're aware of that. And because we're aware of that, that in that lies our nobility. So mockery assumes a type of superiority. I'm better than this person that I'm mocking. 
laughter in the best sense doesn't assume that you're better than that person, but it recognizes the frailty of the human condition and fallenness. And in that, I think there's space to laugh with humility, but you don't want to stay there. You want to, you want well, to move into a constructive place as well. So there's probably something good about that actual nun's chastened response of begging the Lord for forgiveness and then still succumbing to laughter. <laughs> so I think, um, well, two things, and I want to get to, to that. So I think that humor is a phenomenal indicator of somebody processing a broader scope of reality. Puns are like that, mm. right? Where you're taking a word that sounds like something in one category and applying it. Like that's a mind that's working. Um, my my daughter and I went to catch a swarm of bees last year. And so the bees are hanging in the tree. We're going to put them on a box. And my daughter looks at me and goes, hey, dad, free bees. Which, you know, <laughs> so we're getting bees for free and they're free bees. Like, you know, it's that those kind of well, things. Well said. It's, it's legitimately funny coming from a little kid, right? So, but you're, your, your mind is expanded beyond just the thing that you're seeing. And so I think laughter in a weird situation comes from the ability to properly contextualize what you're seeing. Mm. So let me try that again. So laughter is when you can properly contextualize what you're seeing. And so I think the laughing nun at the trans nun can properly contextualize what she's seeing. So is this ridiculous? Yes, it is. But in the broader scope of what I know to be true and real and where my identity comes from and how I know the world operates and who I know is in charge of the world, it's kind of funny. Uh, and so it's that proper contextualization. Now, this is where I think there would be legitimate pushback and say, well, you know, Nathan and Cameron, you guys are young and naive. You should be more scared and chewing your fingernails and, mm. you know, hiding in a hole. But I, I think laughter is a healthy Christian response to some of this stuff where we're not, we're not, we're not justifying it and we're not saying that it's good, but we're playing with the full deck of cards and the full range of tools that we have as a Christian in order to put it in like this thing does not deceit Christ from his throne. Um, and so you have to, so that's that optimistic realism where we're talking about, you know, we're talking, we're always talking about current events and Christian hope. Well, the Christian hope comes from seeing with a wider angle lens of having a bigger vision. It's, this in light of all this other stuff and it's all this other stuff that we know to be true that then makes this interesting humorous noteworthy something to perhaps be concerned about but still laughable at the same time that's my attempted like thesis that. yeah if you take a more expansive view and you see that none of this represents a threat to christ's supremacy or his victory now it doesn't mean that we don't exercise caution. It doesn't mean that we don't feel serious worry, but I want to amplify real quickly on that note, something that Nathan said earlier that I think is really helpful. Every, and I, I've been writing about this for, for a teaching letter. So this is fresh on my mind. I was, I'm doing a little companion piece to Faith That Lasts, which was the book I wrote with my dad on discipleship in the home and intergenerational mm -hmm. faith. But every, yes, every generation brings with it a set of fresh new challenges, all of which require wisdom as we walk through life. It still remains the case that there is nothing new under the sun in the sense that the human condition remains the human condition. But there are unique challenges that arise. For instance, Nathan named one of them, the internet. I mean, nobody was, you know, nobody born in the 1950s, <laughs> for instance, was anticipating the challenges that would come with the World Wide Web. And 
what that would do to, you know, people initially, the architects assumed, ah, we shall democratize information and this will promote peace, love and understanding. <laughs> mm, not so much. More like online trolls and voracious amounts of pornography now. And, you know, worse coming down the pipeline. But who would have who would have thought? But I also thought, Nathan, about parents in the early church had to navigate discussions on, among other sundry topics, temple prostitution, public nudity, sacrifice to, yep, public nudity, pederasty, meat sacrifice to idols. I mean, polygamy, these were not e- interest, yeah, polygamy. These were not easy conversations. Highly, abortion. highly complex. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on and on we could go. And they, I mean, this was, this was very much part and parcel of, of the world in which these people moved. And then think about parents in the early sort of in the early years here in the United States of the industrial revolution having to wrestle with the thought do i send do we send our young boys into canneries or mines or glass factories where they're underage and they'll work for like 12 hours because there are labor shortages we're desperately poor we need help i mean my point is you look you look into history you're going to find unique unprecedented challenges that people had to walk through with wisdom and discernment and prayer and so yes this is a fallen world, and you're going to find new and serious challenges. But Christ remains Christ remains victorious, and human nature remains human nature. We always have needed to be, we always need to be saved from ourselves. And that's why we need to turn to our Savior. So that's not to trivialize or downplay or explain away. I think we need we need a little bit of perspective. Well, there are dark chapters in history and yeah. Yes. So this is an important theme because I, you know, the the narrative seems to be Christianity needs to grow up and catch up to how the world actually works sexually. It's it's seen as this mm, middle age, sure. dark age, behind the times, retrospective, regressive, fundy, um, overly puritanical response to human sexuality and identity. And so the 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 progressive world is by and large waiting for the church to mature and catch up. The reason that will never happen is because the church isn't behind. The church grew out of a culture that was every bit as sexualized and chaotic as far as identity and gender and mm-hmm. what was permissible sexually. So the, the the church got started in that culture and then grew out of it. And so that's the, mm-hmm. the massive tension that happens is like the church is saying, yes, we came out of that. When Paul makes a list of stuff that people do that he says is or that people won't inherit the kingdom of God. The next line is, and that is what some of you once were. Um, mm-hmm. So you get that in Romans six, you get that in Titus three. Um, this whole idea of like the church was born out of people who engaged in these behaviors. That's where the church came from. So the church, the church is morally farther along than some of these things, while culturally the culture sees itself as farther along than the church. And so that's just a hilarious tension to see there, but it's also deeply stabilizing, I think, for us. If you're if you're feeling yourself to be fearful of some of this stuff, um, there are proper concerns and proper things that you need to put in your life to not participate in them. But don't think, don't fall for the trap of thinking that that's true progress and that the church will catch up to it because the church dealt with some of this stuff 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's old news. And I think... That's a fitting note of conclusion here. So much, so much could, so much more could be said. I'm, I have a feeling this is an ep- This is, this is a male generating episode. Well, but, but think of it. That, just one more thing. So, okay, here you have trans nuns running in a stadium. 
the early church flourished in a time in which they were killing Christians in stadiums for sport. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah, as yeah, killing people as entertainment, like get your ticket and your popcorn and I don't think they had mm-hmm. cotton candy and go on down and watch some people get murdered in the arena. Um, the world evil is not new. Newsflash. <laughs> and yep. the, the church goes on. So I'm, don't hear us saying be naive, but if you properly contextualize what you're seeing, you can giggle and it's okay. You can giggle and it's okay. Well, we I suspect we'll we'll be back in similar territory, especially as we enter the, the month of June. We will want to talk through some of some of Pride Month and what that means. It's always an interesting time for for those of us who adhere to the Christian vision of human sexuality. So we'll we'll have some of those discussions and we'll look forward to some interaction there. But you have been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.